What's up, your backup plan tribe, to another this week's awesome, I'm going to say awesome, podcast with a lady who is a grief coach and an advocate for widowers. Her name is Cindy Burns, and I can't say enough about this great empowering widows, Cindy Burns' inspiring journey as a grief coach and advocate, 10 tips for widows. You know, can we ever get enough tips? I don't think so. And so if you are new here, welcome, welcome to our show today. My name is Tina Ginn. I am a podcaster, of course. I am a backup plan app creator and developer of your backup plan. I'm a best-selling author of In the Blink of an Eye. Just like that, your life changes forever. That's about it. And everybody that's been in this kind of predicament says, yes, amen to that, Tina. That's for sure. Your life changes in the quick snap of your fingers. I'm a financial advisor. And of course, I'm an emergency preparedness coach so that I created all of this stuff for you guys to use and share with those that you love and care about. Uh, we are on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and of course, Pinterest. That is a mouthful. And I do think someone should start a song about that. I think we could do some sort of rap song to something like that. We talk about real life stories on our show with really amazing people like Cindy um, and about their life changing events in their lives and you know, the tragedies that we overcome and the traumas and sickness and accidents. And in the blink of an eye, your life can, something happens and your life changes forever. Sometimes for the better. Sometimes it takes a while before you can say for the better. But all things being said, we are here for you. We do a lot on grief on, this, on these shows. So check out our list down below in the description box. And please like, share, and subscribe if you haven't already. If you are new here, welcome. If you're returning, thank you for coming on our shows. I really, really appreciate it. So let's get our party started. Let's check out here um, our short commercial, and I'll bring on Cindy. Welcome back. Welcome back. Let's get the party started. And we're going to bring on Cindy Burns, who is a grief coach, coming to us from Virginia. Yes. Hi, Cindy. So happy to have Hi, you on Tina. the show. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I'm so excited. You know, it brings me joy every time I'm able to feel like I can help people. And that's what I'm here for with you today, because you've been through it. And where did it all start for you? It all started on Mother's Day 2011. Well, actually, it started a little before that. Um, my husband hadn't been feeling well. He'd been back and forth to the doctor. The doctor, you know, gave him antibiotics. He could take this fever. So took him to the emergency room. And um, on Mother's Day, he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. And um, it continued and he he didn't last very long there. He had a lot of complications from it. And um, he passed away on August 2nd, 2011, 
which is exactly 10 day, 10 years to the day from when my father died. So, yeah. That's I said, my, crazy. I said, Dan did it because he knows how bad I, he knew how bad I was with dates. <laughs> Keep it easy yes. for you. <laughs> so he lasted from May till August. That's yeah, like. He was, in, he was in the hospital the entire time. Oh, was he a smoker? He had quit 25 years before. But yeah. Yeah. Doesn't seem to matter if you're a smoker or not, though. I think it, uh, it yeah, had it a girlfriend. You won't that, get it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And how was that seeing him deteriorate in front of you so quickly? He he was um he was six two and a half, and when he went in, he was probably two hundred and eighty pounds, and by the time he died, he was um I I want to say like two thirty, so he'd lost that that much weight that quickly, and because um, he just wasn't hungry, he couldn't eat because he was just not feeling well. And yeah, he went, he went from being my rock to needing me to be the rock. And I stayed That's with him the, the entire shift. time. Yeah. I stayed oh, with really? him the entire time. Well, his doctor seemed to want to come and visit at five o'clock in the morning. And he never wanted to, he didn't understand doctors. I was a medical transcriptionist. So I knew at least some terms. And so I was his translator. <laughs> he said, yeah. okay, what did the doctor say in English, please? <laughs> he called me his translator. So it was just easier to stay there. <laughs> Plus it was, it was, I, I needed to be there. I, you know, I think it's myself, hard to be away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some people can't. So what you know, about yourself? How did you look after yourself when you spent all that time there? Like you had errands well, to do and things to do sometimes. And well, he was usually in a private room. The hospital had gone to all private rooms with a shower. So I was able to shower. Um, my sons would bring me changes of clothes and then take home the dirty ones to wash. So, yeah, it was, we managed. That's good. Was, that must have seemed yeah. so long. Yes and no. It seemed like it was dragging on forever, but then it went by in the blink of an eye. You know, he was he was healthy and, and active and he ended up, you know, basically in a coma when he died. So I think yeah. did his lungs just shut down or did it fill with water? Do you know? Um he had pneumonia. It wouldn't pneumonia has to drain if it's fluid in the lungs. And it has to drain, and it couldn't because the tumor was in the way. For some reason, I don't remember why 
or maybe they didn't make it clear, but it was inoperable. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything about it. He was too sick and too, um, he, he'd gone downhill too fast for chemotherapy. So they gave him radiation treatments. Once he was able, at first he couldn't lay flat on his back for more than a minute because he'd start coughing so bad. And once he was able to lay on his back long enough, they, um, they started radiation treatments and he received 10, I think. And then they have to stop and give it a rest. And then, you know, a few more weeks, they would restart it. And the doctor told me that, you know, it takes a couple months to see if, it, if any of it worked. He didn't last that long. He just got the, the 10 treatments and that was it. He had a complication that happens with some cancers. It's rare. It's called DIC. It's some big long name. And what it is, is his, his blood would either clot too much or not enough. So he was either bleeding or he was throwing clots. He had, he had a stroke. Oh. He had several mini strokes. Um, he had a heart attack because one of the clots went to his heart. And because of all this, he his left foot just it died. It turned purple and then black, and they had to amputate his left leg. And we could see it happening to his other leg and to his hands. And the doctor said that after it was done with his extremities, it would move to his internal organs and they would slowly die. And that's when he decided it was time. He, he would, throughout it all, he would say, I'm not throwing in the towel yet. But when he heard that, he said, okay, give me a towel so I can throw it. Yeah. And, I think you get so frustrated with the pain and time of it. It just gets to you. And the radiation well, was, was so hard was on no, your body. Yeah, there, there was nothing they could do. Yeah. So. Was he alone when he found out that he had lung cancer? No, I was with him. What was I that was. like? Okay. It's an even longer story. Originally on Easter that year, um, which fell in May or end of April, maybe, I had taken him to, well, I finally, he finally allowed me to go to the doctors with him. And the doctor said, yeah, it's probably. Was he coughing? Is that why? He had a fever and he was completely run down. That's why he was going to the doctor. But he was oh. coughing, but not a lot, but he was coughing. And he never told the doctor. He never told the doctor he was coughing. So I told the doctor. He said, did he tell you he, he's been coughing? He said, no. So he ordered a chest x-ray, showed the pneumonia. 
um, sent him home on heavy duty antibiotics. A week later, he was no better. So I took him to the emergency room to a local hospital in town. And they admitted him, treated, tested him for TB and all kinds of other stuff. Um, did CAT scans and a whole bunch of things. And they finally put him on IV antibiotics. And after, I don't know if it was a week or two, they said um, he could go home. Well, he, we went home. And it was a week later, Mother's Day, that I took him to Charlottesville, which is about an hour and a half drive. I took him to the emergency room there because they're they're a they're attached to a medical school, so it's it's a better um, hospital. And in the emergency room, um, we told the doctor who was a resident. We told her that he'd been, you know, in the hospital and that he'd had CAT scans done. And she said, okay, she says, before we do anything, I'm going to pull up his records from, from that time. And she came back a little while later and said, I've had a, I saw it and I had a radiologist look and he saw it. Did they tell you anything about a mass in his lungs? They did the first hospital missed it. It wouldn't have been looking, you know, we've, we realized it wouldn't have made any difference. It was only right. a matter of weeks. So it really w wouldn't have made any difference, but it was still very frustrating that the first hospital didn't tell us, didn't catch it. It was like it was masked by this pneumonia. So no, she said, she said it was very obvious. It was very obvious. So they admitted him. They had him on again on antibiotics and after a week they sent us home with um, an appointment to meet with an oncology doctor and that's when he had while he was home that's when he had the stroke uh -huh. and um, he just he didn't know who I you know who I was he didn't know his own name so I knew He'd had a stroke and I called 911 and they came and I said, I want him taken to Charlottesville. No, we have to take him to the closest hospital. So they went back to the hospital that didn't, that, that missed the diagnosis. And I think they must have put in big red letters on his chart, wife is pissed. <laughs> because I said... <laughs> I, I mean, I, I told anybody that would listen, I don't want him here. Well, he's he's not stable enough to transfer. Get him stable and then get a helicopter here if you have to. But I don't want him here. You guys messed it up the first time. You had your chance. Well, he never did get healthy enough to be able to transfer. And, um, yeah. but, but they had, the head, the chief of cardiology, the chief of respiratory, the chief of neurology. He had the chief of all of the departments taking care of him. They were his doctors while he was there. So Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, they don't normally do that, I don't think. <laughs> so 
but they knew it you must know? have been that red flag yeah i think so so yeah that's that's the long story of how he so it was like in the blink of an eye it's like what change yeah. your whole life just changed yeah. from him working every day and having a normal life to yeah. he was driving a school bus he had his he had by this time he had grown his hair out he had he was balding on top but he had a long hair with a ponytail and he wore tie-dye shirts every day. So <laughs> the students either called him hippie or Mr. Yeah. Tie-dye. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And he loved That's it. so cute. Yeah. He loved the kids. Like yeah. back in the 60s or something, huh? He missed, he missed out. He graduated from high school in 71 and went immediately into the Navy. When he left the Navy, um, he worked as a bartender for a couple years. That's how I met him. <laughs> and um, then he, uh, then he got on the, the police force. And then from the Syracuse police force, we lived in New York at the time. From there, he, um, he transferred to be a county deputy. So when he retired from that, he said, I've been wearing a uniform all my life. Cause, Oh, he'd also gone to, um, Catholic school from kindergarten through 12th grade. So he had to wear a uniform for that. So he said, I've been wearing a uniform my entire life. Yeah. I'm going to dress the way I want now. <laughs> and he did. That's awesome. He did. Yeah. Did, uh, <clears throat> I guess you had mentioned backstage that in the midst of all of this happening, you didn't have too bad of a hard time in juggling the financial aspect of paperwork after he passed. Yeah, everything was in my name. I don't know how we came to think of that, but it worked out in my favor. I didn't have to worry about transferring anything into my name. Um, we didn't have a lot. We had a, a joint bank account. And the bank told me to um, keep him on it for a year in case some other checks came in. And um, the house was in my name. So was the mortgage. <laughs> the car yeah. was in my name. So was the car loan. <laughs> um, and that, that was about it. We didn't really have much of anything. But it was all in my name. So I didn't have to worry about it. It was like you prepared for it before you didn't even know it. Yeah. Well, he was five years older than me, and we always figured he would go before me, but we didn't figure it'd be that soon. No. How old was he? He died at 59. He wanted, and his birthday was in December, and he wanted to live long enough to see 60, and he didn't. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. What do you think, um, well, you did mention about your mom passing away, and that was a different that was a different story. Um, she was very organized and she had boxes and boxes and boxes full of records. She used to have records from way back. And my poor brother was the executor of her um, estate. And he had a, he had to go through all of that. And like she knew, she knew if you said you needed something, she knew where it was, but we didn't. Yeah. So. Yeah, when we packed up her house, she was in Florida. We packed up her house and moved all those boxes up to my brother's house. That poor kid. Yeah. <laughs> he was 
younger than me. But yeah, he he went through a lot trying to get it all straightened out. It's and always it, seems to be an awful mess, isn't it? When you have to find even when, things. Even when she went into the hospital, um, if she'd had the backup plan, you know, we would have known what medications she was on and, yeah. and that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's surprising. I've really tried in the app to really try to put anything that could possibly happen to yeah. you and your assets to have a backup plan for it. So um, what did it make you feel like then when, when you heard the words that it wasn't just pneumonia? I was did you hopeful. honestly think there was something else anyways like you I know, figured we, there had to be there had to have been something else I think we both kind of realized it was more than just pneumonia yeah and um so we weren't terribly surprised his brother had lung cancer and he had a whole lung removed and he he lived through it and, wow, that's um, amazing, isn't it? And, and everything, he, he ended up doing okay. So we kind of figured maybe Dan would be, you know, go the same route, but it wasn't meant yeah. to be. And his brother yeah. had, uh, when we told him, especially once it got to the point of no return, his brother was beside himself. He said it should, you know, he says, I'm still alive and he's going to die and it shouldn't be that way, you know. But Yeah. We it's always feel. Yeah, things things happen the way they happen. Yeah. So you're in this new world of being a widow. And how was that? <laughs> how did it start for you? Like, to, to well, like there's so many feelings and triggers, you know, yeah. as you, well, with you, the grief and. I don't remember going home from the hospital. I kind of remember packing up my laptop and my clothes and things like that. And Dan's things that he had, you know, we'd brought up for him. And all of my, we have six sons. So they were all there and my wonderful daughter-in-law. And so, you know, of course they helped. Yeah. But I don't know how I got back to the house. I don't know if I drove or if I rode with somebody. I do, that's all a blur. What I do remember is standing with my back to the front door and leaning on it and just, I hadn't cried up to this point, but I, I lost it and said, I can't go in that house without him because yeah. I hadn't been in that house without him all that time. Right. And that was one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was blessed. My sons were there. Um, Dan's sisters came. His nieces, who were adults, came and helped. Well, what? yeah, two of his nieces came, and they, they, they cleaned my house. <laughs> they were that my must have been a parents. huge help. It really, And you know what I did was I closed myself up in my office and did things like, called his, called the, the school bus people. Um, I made some, you know, phone calls that we didn't make right away. I 
called, I don't know, I just, I found phone calls to make and things to do and things yeah. to look up on the computer just to keep myself busy so that my brain couldn't, didn't really process Concentrate it. on that. Yeah. yeah. And um, my mom was there and she stayed for two weeks afterwards. And um, she That's loved. nice. You had a lot of support. I did. I did. I was very blessed. She, the first thing she asked me, though, was, you're going to move home now, right? Home oh. up in Syracuse. I said, Mom, this is at my home. This has been my home for, you know, I don't know how many years. And she said, well, we'll talk about it later. But then at the funeral, after the funeral, um, the church put on a reception in the church hall and she saw how everybody was and you know how everybody cared and she says okay she says this is your home this is where you belong so because i didn't know anybody back in syracuse anymore yeah <laughs> yeah but for some most reason most of the friends that's... i went to high school with had moved to florida yeah absolutely everybody from new york and syracuse all moved to florida oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's absolutely. kind of a yeah um but it was i went back to work like pretty much right after my mother went um left i worked as i said from i did medical transcription so i'd been working from home since the my youngest was little so that about 15 years yeah and um work was what i did when life got tough and I yeah. did, I, I would work 12 to 16 hours a day so that I didn't have to think and I didn't have to really feel. Um, I buried- Looking back, would you do it differently, Cindy? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I did, obviously- so you would I have advice cry. for- Yeah. I mean, obviously I did cry, but I, I hid my feelings from myself as well as everybody else. I didn't want my sons to worry about me. So I I didn't let them see me grieve. Yeah. My advice now to widows is to anybody who's lost somebody is to go ahead, feel your feelings. Grief is normal. It is, I hate to say this because there isn't a way to look at it, but it's good yeah. for you. It's good for you to get those feelings out. You go through all the stages. The one that surprised me the most was anger. I just wanted to smash things. Um, but you go through all the stages and then you cycle back and you go through them again. And, you know, it's all topsy-turvy. And you need to give yourself time and grace to feel those feelings and acknowledge them. And then show them the door. You know, don't live in them. Yeah. They'll come yeah. back tomorrow. You know, they might come back. Whatever you're feeling today, you show at the door. It might come back tomorrow. But you don't, you feel it and then you don't live in it. Eventually, the, the dark pit that you're in will lighten. You'll start to realize that life has gone on, on around you. Um, yeah, you may lose some friends. I talk about that in a lot of shows too, how you feel like you're in this darkness 
and yeah. I, I talk about this this four uh, walled room that you're in yeah. and it has a door and a window but you just feel like there's no light in it at all and like you're, you're trying so well. desperately to to find light to change it to 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 make it all go away I guess that's what we're feeling. And I talk about going around the room, trying to feel for a window or a door. And then when you finally find the door handle, you're scared to open it because you're scared. What am I going to feel now? And and then when you open it, it's like, oh, this wonderful smell of scent of flowers and meadows and bright sunlight. And it's like, oh. It doesn't happen that sudden. <laughs> no, but it, it's, it's over. For time and it's just yeah. it, it just feels like you're locked in this prison of a room it does take time and you never stop grieving when people say um they're going to cure you or there's a cure or um recover from grief it doesn't happen it's not true for whatever grief you've gone through whether it's your parent, your child, your husband, you know, even your pets, yeah. that grief stays with you. It gets easier to carry, but it's still there. Yeah. And even now, you know, there are things that trigger me and they come out of the blue. Yes. You know, I mean, I can talk, I, I've told this story so many times that I can do it without crying. But every once in a while, you know, something, I'll have a memory, I'll have a flash of memory of something that I'd forgotten. Yeah. And, you know, they talk about, you've heard about pregnancy brain. Well, there's such a thing as widow fog. And it's yes. been medically, it's medically backed up. Your brain kind of shuts down. You can't you have trouble remembering things. Your short-term memory is pretty much non-existent. It's hard to focus on anything. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's rough. Plus I have fibromyalgia and that has fog with it too. So. Yeah. Yeah. And that usually flares under stress. So I would, yeah. And you have trouble start finding words and I still have that. Yeah. But um yeah, it's it's real. So anybody listening, yes, the fog is real. Give yourself grace. Um don't expect to always remember why you walked into a room. You know, <laughs> it's not it's not just age if you're grieving. It's it's the grief that's doing it to you. Um that's one big piece of advice. Yeah. Um, and I think when I developed your backup plan, it was a situation with a friend of mine that went in with a, a cough into the hospital like your husband did. But she never came out of the hospital like your husband sort of did. And you just don't ever think that you're going to walk in those doors and never come out of them again and go home. Um, and I think that in those moments, like, it's it's just too hard to put the pieces of the puzzle together. 
when you're in that fog. You know, it's, yeah. it's too late because you're grieving and you're messed up and you're, you have all these feelings you just don't even know what to do with. And so that's why I actually created your backup plan was to alleviate some of that pressure from you having mm -hmm. to go through paperwork and, and while you're grieving and you can't think straight and you literally can't even mm -hmm. see a phone number, even if you tried sometimes, I swear. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's just so weird how you your can't brain find just something shuts when off. It's right in front of you. Yeah. It, it's so strange. Um, and how long that lasts, who knows? I think it's different for everybody. Yeah. It can last up to a year or more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, you know, that's the biggest piece of advice. I think I can do. feel your feelings and give yourself some grace and don't do it alone. Yeah. Find somebody. If, if your family and friends turn their back on you for whatever reason, and it does happen, unfortunately, um, Friends don't know what to say or do, so they stop calling, they stop coming by, they get yeah. on with their lives, and then your feelings are hurt, so you don't contact them. One piece of advice my mother gave me that's always just the phone works both ways. Yeah. But when you're grieving, you don't think about that. You know, you just know that you're hurt because they're not there for you. Yes. Um, there can be especially if it's a blended family or something, or you might have trouble with their, with the in-laws. Luckily my in-laws are wonderful. Um, but there's all kinds of that kind of thing going on too. So if you can't find anybody to lean on, if you're not religious or your, your minister or priest is just doesn't, you know, you don't feel like they get it. Yeah. Um, you know, find find a grief coach, you know. I mean, there are some of us out there and um we're here to help. Yeah. Because you've been through it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. What I do that's a little different is I stay with I call them my widows. <laughs> I stay with my widows because Eventually, you reach a spot, and I reached this. It took me about seven years to get there, but where you look around and you say, okay, what's next? Who am, you know, I'm not a wife. My kids are all grown, so I'm not a full-time mother. You know, who am I, and, and what am, what is, what's my purpose? And even when I was working, it was like hard to get up in the morning you know, I didn't really have a good reason to. And that was rough. That was almost, not, not quite, but almost as bad as the initial grief. Because I've lost, you lose yourself. You not only yeah. lose your, you not only lose your love, but you lose the life you thought you were going to have together. Right. And half so of you're you grieving is gone. that. Yeah. yeah. And half of you is gone. So, um, it takes some work to figure out your new purpose and, and you know, get to live it. But you can. And you can live a happy and fulfilling life. I love my life now. 
Would I rather that Dan was here with me? Oh, yeah, in a heartbeat. But since he's not, and, you know, reality tells me he never will be, I need to live. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've traveled. I got a tattoo. You know, <laughs> I've, I've, I've had purple hair. It's faded now. But, you know, just things that are feel more me. You know, you get in touch with who you really are. And, um, you know, you, you throw away what society thinks. Because as widows especially, if we allow ourselves to, we're resilient. We're strong or we grow strong and we're brave. We don't and, feel like it, though. <laughs> well, eventually you get there. I mean, yeah. if you allow it and you do the work, I mean, it doesn't come for some, it comes naturally because that's the kind of person they are and other people they need, they need help. And that's what I, that's what I do. Um, oh, and by the way, it, Cindy's information is all in the description box below. So you can contact Cindy if you feel so. And, uh, and um, please like share and subscribe to the show as well. Like, smash that like button so that people see it around the world um, and you'll make us all very happy. <laughs> um, Cindy, I, I can't believe how, how much of a hole people, you know, widowers get into. And it's hard. It's like this ladder that just keeps growing rungs on it that you just feel like you're going up this ladder and will I ever see the light of day again? I, th I think that's how I visualize it in my head. There's um, a story that a man is in a hole and people walk by and try to help him, but they, they can't help him. And he's given up. And then his best friend comes by and jumps in the hole with him. And he says, what are you doing? Now you're stuck here too. He said, yeah, but I've been there and I know the way out. Oh. And that's that's what I've been there and I know the way out. So find somebody like that if you don't have somebody like that in your life. Yes, as part of your support group. Yeah. Um, it really hurts when these friends it does. take off. Family does too sometimes. Oh, yeah. That's when you make new friends and new family. You know, you're And it's strange what all this brings up in people, even in family units. You know, I don't know if you had it with your mom who passed no, I away. Was lucky. I was very lucky. Have, I, my have you brother, had clients like that? I, yes, I do. I have had um, clients like that where there's, infighting in the family um over possessions who yeah. cares about possessions at that point but yeah you know oh he would have wanted this or she would have wanted that and well unless they actually voiced it i don't know for sure and even if they did my husband hated tattoos i got one oh. anyway he did not want a military funeral he got one he military honors at his funeral he got it because you know what the funeral is for the living yes so he got it you know that's I'm, true 
I know whatever it wasn't you wanted. Yeah. I know it wasn't his wishes, but he got it anyway. Yeah. And it was beautiful. That's awesome. <laughs> I bet. It's so hard to prepare for that day too. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They handed me the flag and then we walked down the aisle of the church, which felt so long. And we got and they they loaded the casket into the hearse. And then they reached to take that flag from me. And I was holding it like it was, you know, a piece of him. Yeah. He said, no, we're going to take it and we're going to put it in a, in a display case for you. And my, my sister-in-law actually had to kind of pry it out of my arms. But she stayed with me and she was great. My daughter-in-law and my sister-in-law were absolutely wonderful. My brother's wife. And my son's wife, they were absolutely, they were my rock during that, as well as my son's. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you have with your kids, you know, like for other people that have lost someone and they have children like you do? Well, again, my, my youngest was 17. He, he was um, just going to be starting his senior year in high school. Um. I just found out the other day he's he's never cried and he feels wow. guilty about it but some people just don't i mean i know he misses his dad he was his dad's buddy you know they they were buddies because he he was an oops baby <laughs> he came se yeah. seven years yeah. after number five did so um oh dear and um so you know he was by the time he was old enough to hang out with dad and do stuff with dad, the others were, you know, getting out of high school. So he was, he, he was dad's buddy. So I know he misses him. So that's not, but for people with, if you have adult children, talk to them. Don't, don't hide your feelings from them so that, you know, because you're afraid they're going to worry about you. Let them worry about you. They want to worry about you. You know, um, it gives them something to do and something to hold on to by worrying about mom. So let them. Yeah. Um, let them comfort you. You know, there's nothing like a hug from your child to make you feel better. Um, if your kids are younger, that's right. That's harder. That's, that's a lot harder. And, but you have to be honest with them too. And you have to let them know that it's okay to cry and it's okay to be mad and it's okay to miss him. And whatever they're feeling is okay, but that they should talk to you about it. They should, or draw a picture about it or write about it or something like that so that it's, they're not, bottling it up so that's my advice Let's get it out yeah that's yeah. that's really good i think that would be true for even adult children yeah yeah like i said feel your feelings that's like that and you don't have boys to too. yeah yeah but my two sayings that anybody that knows the work I do, it's feel your feelings and you don't have to do it alone. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what kind of final message would you like to give the listeners? That <laughs> feel your feelings and you don't have to do it alone. And if there's somebody in your life that's hurting, that's grieving, reach out to them. You don't have to do anything or say anything. Just be with them. Take them out for coffee or go over there. Take some, you know, take lunch to their house. Sit and watch Netflix together. Just be there. And if they start crying, don't say, oh, they're there. It'll be okay. Because it won't be. You know, let them cry. Cry with them if you, you know, feel like it. Just be you know, be there for your friend or your family. They really need to. Changing their, if they start crying, maybe trying to change the energy in the room. You know what I mean? Like, what about no, doing that? No, let them cry. Let them, let them feel whatever they, they need to feel. Yeah. I just found that sometimes it's good to kind of change the, like maybe talk about it more, maybe a story that yeah. or what triggered them maybe. Yeah. Or, I mean, obviously if they're crying so hard, they can't breathe or they've been crying, sobbing for, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Then, then you want to, do you know change the energy talk about it get them to talk um but you know if if they're just kind of quietly crying let them you know they need to feel yeah. it they need to get it out yeah. and invite them to share their so feelings very true yeah. yeah did um did you have any trouble with your sons trying to get through it as well? No, I they they got through it pretty well, I think. But they all had a chance to talk with their dad before. You know, each one, one by one, went in and talked with him. And so there were no and there was nothing left unresolved. Nice. And that makes such a difference. You don't have the regrets. And talking to a couple of them, you know, they had guilt because they were relieved when he died. They, and I said, that's normal. You're relieved that he's out of pain, that, you know, he yeah. doesn't have to go through this anymore. Relief is, a, you know, it's, it's a strange way to feel but it's, it's okay. Yeah. You know? And I'm glad they talked to me about it. Some of my sons are not talkers. <laughs> well, a lot of men aren't talkers. Yeah. They don't want to show their feelings either. Exactly. So that's why I was wondering if you had a hard time with yours. No, well, my oldest, who is, the, I, I would say he's the most emotional out of the bunch. He had his wife. And... Yeah. She's just, I can't say enough good things about her. She's just, she's, she's the daughter I never had <laughs> and oh, never knew cool. I wanted. <laughs> and then um, 
my fifth, only two of them are married. And so my fifth oldest one, he's married and she's wonderful. So, yeah. They weren't they were very lucky that though. way then. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't, they, they weren't together at that time, but she came along later and she came along at just the right time for him. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You've given us so many different ideas and, and things, you know, um, I'll probably have to have you come back on and talk about other things maybe that you were dealing with clients you know there's so many yeah. everybody's so different going through this yep there's process. so many variations i call it a process because sometimes you feel yeah. like um you know like you don't know what's going to trigger you next yeah i i usually call so, grief a journey because it takes twists and turns and ups and downs, like a like an old country road kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And even after 12 years, you're going to be saying the same thing as you did, you know, five years ago. Yeah. That hasn't changed at all, has it really? No. No. The, somebody challenged me i go i do a facebook live every monday and somebody challenged me to do one where um i said the things i wish i had known when i first became a widow that one never made it to air it wasn't alive i recorded it it never made it to air because the things i wish i had known where I wish I'd known, number one, how much I'd miss him, and number two, how very much I loved him. I didn't realize how much I loved him until he was gone. And that's that's a hard one. I think that's a song. I think there's uh, a song I, like that. It could be. You know, not... I said, my life is a country song. Not knowing... <laughs> Yeah. Actually absolutely. it's not. I've had I've I've been blessed. I've had a I've had good people in my life. And other than, you know, losing my parents and Dan, I've had a good life. So So you're there to help others now to Yeah. To I've, feel the feels. I I was born to be a caregiver. Um when I was a child and people asked what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said a mom. And so I was six times. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the youngest was um, a little older, then I, I was a health, I worked in the healthcare um, field. I was a home health aide for several years till my back gave out. And um, then I worked in a doctor's office and then I went home to um, do medical transcription. Oh, so nice. I, I've been either caring for somebody or on the edge of caring for people. I've considered, you know, transcription that was caring for people. Yes. And I was in management. So I was caring for my transcriptionists, the people who worked there. Awesome. Um, so, you know, I just, it's what I do. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. what you love, love to do. 
that's what yeah. you feel passionate about. So, you know, you can get a hold of Cindy over here on underneath in the description box below. So don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our show as well. You know, every moment is magic. So make every magic moment count. And that's what Cindy was talking about many times in her story. And we think we're Superman, but we aren't. But we think we are. And because we think nothing's going to happen, you know, nothing's going to happen to us, Tina. So why do I have to be prepared for anything? Well, we're prepared for trips. We're prepared for weddings. We're prepared for births. But somehow we don't want to prepare for death. And it's all going to come to us at some time. We just don't know when or how. But we all are going to have it happen. So why not have some sort of plan where things are set up and you can feel the feels when it does happen? Because it's so horrible going through trauma like that and having to dig through paperwork and obstacles and talk to banks who keep saying it over and over again. They literally have to be the worst out there in talking to widows. They have no training and they're, they're terrible. I recently went into the bank to speak to someone who had dealt with my father and she literally just said, Oh, I'm so sorry to hear. And then she sat, stood there and just stared at you waiting. What is she waiting for? Is she waiting for you to tear up or is she waiting for like, you, you know, you've got this thing in your throat that you can't even like swallow because it's like, you don't know what to say or do. And so you're putting people at, to me, at, at not a comfortable position to be in when, especially when you're having to deal with stuff that you don't know much about really, you know, you don't know what he had. You don't know what the person had. You don't know if it's even at that bank, literally. So you need to have a deep breath and have to go through these obstacles that you have to get through afterwards. And um, hopefully if you get your backup plan ahead of time, you'll be able to not have all those same pressures. But if you were thinking about that special someone right now and you haven't spoken to them in a while, pick up the phone, knock on their door, call them, whatever it is, Zoom time them, FaceTime them, whatever, and tell them how much you love and care about them today because you don't know what tomorrow might bring. Whew. I don't know. See, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> I say that hundreds and hundreds of times, but I'm going to take a quick drink. Oh, that's better. That being said, we always end our show with Carol Burnett. And I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or sing a song. Seems we just get started. And before you know it, comes the time we have to say so long so long everybody it was 
so wonderful having you on the show, Cindy. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Awesome. And, you know, Mike Tyson says everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Well, you think you have a plan and then you get punched in the mouth. So have a great day, everybody. Thank you, Cindy, again. Thank you so very much for coming on our show. And thank you, widows out there. And if you know somebody that you feel that this would help, make sure you like, share, and subscribe to our show. And we do have a lot of, we talk a lot about grief. I don't think we can talk enough about grief. If I could do it twice a week, I would. Because everybody has to go through it somehow, some way. And hopefully you can find that person like Cindy that can help you. So thank you again, Cindy. Thank you, listeners. I'd love to have you. Until next week, stay safe and be kind.